0: This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli.
1: Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dan Coates. Dan is the president of Y-Pulse, the leading provider of Gen Z and millennial research and insights. An industry veteran and serial entrepreneur, Dan has spent 30 years in the marketing research industry and 15 years piloting Y-Pulse. Today, Dan is here to discuss his company's recent report on young consumers and the experience economy. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Before we dive into our conversation, can you give listeners a bit of context about Y-Pulse? Who you're surveying? How many people? How will they are, where they are, how often you're talking to them, and what this all means generally for margin of error when people are reading your report.
0: Okay, great. You know, Y-Pulse has been around now for over 18 years, and well, every year we survey over 400,000 people age 13 to 39, across seven countries. You know, the reports that we do are, are kind of little snapshots of what it is that's going on in their lives. So the stuff that we'll talk about today when it comes to young people and experiences, we surveyed um, 1,500 people in uh, the U.S. and Canada and 2,500 people in Western Europe early first couple of weeks of June. And what that means in terms of the margin of error, it's generally speaking less than 3% for these particular studies, a little bit more for the countries in Western Europe and that there's five of them. And so we've got a slightly smaller sample size around plus or minus 5%. But anything we talk about today, I'll make sure is outside the margin of error.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much. So during the long, dark days of the pandemic, we talked a lot about the new normal and wondered if if people would ever want to be cheek to jowl and, and in an enclosed space with other people. So what does your research tell us? Are people here for the real life events?
0: Yeah, and, and they're back with a vengeance. We're, we're back to pre-pandemic levels across many of the experiences that, that folks have. And I would even say there's a bit of revenge to it, right? After it's like holding the lid on a pot for a little too long, the pressure builds up and uh, we're seeing young people, you know, exuberantly returning back to in real life.
1: So does this mean that virtual events don't appeal?
0: Virtual events are actually kind of a new a new phenomenon. Virtual experiences still, still appeal more to males, actually. So <laughs> females want to get out and travel the world. Males seem to be interested in, you know, kind of hunkering in the bunker and playing more video games and having more virtual experiences.
1: So the metaverse, not dead. Would that be a fair... <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not and then, and then fascinatingly, we're seeing lots of what we would call fidgetal, right? So wait, so say that again. What F, is it? Yeah. Fidgetal, P-H, and then digital at the end. So physical combined with digital, oh, and okay. things like, you know, Nike and having digital experiences like Airphoria, which is pretty, pretty powerful. Bumble had something interesting where, you know, it's an online dating service, but they sort of wanted to combine that online dating service with folks that like to work out and might want to meet other people that they would want to work out with and maybe have a relationship with. So we're seeing this blurring and blending between the two that I think is really smart post-pandemic. So give them a little bit about what they're familiar with over the last few years and that with the thing that they're craving moving forward.
1: So interesting. How does spending on an experience compare with spending on a product? yeah
0: i mean i'm i don't want to date uh you or me but but i come from a gen x background where things mattered right you would collect things you bought things you saved up money for things and it's it's really quite the opposite for millennials we saw that a few years back it's even more so now the 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 impact of the pandemic has made it such that they're returning to the things that they'll remember always and to their credit as an exer i will say yeah you know, I don't know that I'll remember fondly everything I ever bought, but certainly the experiences I have with the people that matter to me, have never left my memory. So I think, I think they've got a smart strategy when it comes to focusing on experiences. We ask them, you know, would you rather buy a thing or would you rather have an experience? And right now it's tilted seventy one twenty nine in favor of experiences.
1: Interesting. Now I did notice in the report though, that there was one demographic that was highlighted that was more interested and it was not just any old product. It was wardrobe than experience. Yeah. And can, can you share a bit around that and what's going on there?
0: Yeah. So there's sub demographics that are very fashion forward and, and I believe you're talking about people of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People of color are kind of the vanguard of fashion right now right they're the ones to watch they're the ones that are really influencing others and so you know certainly that's important that's a part of their identity you know being the first and 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 being seen one who has that as as core part of their fiber that being said i just want to say that you don't you could dress up to stay at home take pictures of yourself and post them on instagram that's entirely plausible but chances are that there's an event on the other side of that right so oh okay do is, you know, see and be seen in more than just the virtual environment in these things that you've bought. So there's a little bit of a combination. One, I would say, precedes the other.
1: Now, you had earlier mentioned about the men and women and a bit of a difference in terms of how they approach these things. So if we're speaking about people of color, is this fashion forward spending on wardrobe slightly more than on an experience equally men and women, or does that break down?
0: Well, definitely females over index over males in this people of color, males over index when it comes to Caucasian males. And so females are definitely more lean forward when it comes to fashion and spending money on fashion, but males that are of color are also more likely to spend on fashion and clothes than males who who are Caucasian. So I think it's female dominated, but certainly there is a tilt towards people of color, whether you're talking about males or females.
1: I see. So for people who are planning, this is going back just generally to tight finances. And if people are planning for ticketed events, how should they be thinking about pricing? How much are people willing to spend?
0: You know, it's fascinating. I've got I've got a few children, one of whom's eight, and the Taylor Swift concerts just ripped through the New York area with people paying obscene amounts of money to be a <laughs> they, part of they that They were experience.
1: expensive.
0: Yeah. And and so I, I would say that, you know, certainly, and, and the artists are feeling really bad about this this, right? My son, who's a little bit older than eight, went to see The Cure. And I know Robert Smith is very, you know, intent on trying to keep ticket prices, you know, low. And and the only way to do that is to try to somehow avoid the aftermarket because the aftermarket, you know, it's whatever people are willing to pay is is what's being charged. First of all, there is no such thing as a discount concert experience, right? You're you're paying at minimum the face value of the ticket. And then in some cases, much, much more than that, particularly when parents get involved. So I think the difference between what, say, a Gen Z, or millennial would bear versus what the Xer or maybe even boomer parent that's funding the experience would bear are two oh. completely different things. And so, you know, if you're talking to kids, you know, they're by and large, you know, focusing on paying list price for concert experiences. Don't really mind that, you know, it's up around right. the 79, 80% level. When things go into hyperdrive, usually there's a much deeper pocketed exer or, or boomer that's sort of driving it to that stratosphere.
1: So it's the marquee artist who they, the parent is doing this because they know their kid loves it. And so they're, they're funding it. Okay.
0: They're looking at formative experience that they'll never forget. And, and listen, I I live in New Jersey and I found it quite similar the way the moms were getting into dressing like Taylor as much as the daughters were.
1: I can't even go there. Okay. <laughs> uh anyway, we frequently talk about social and how it intersects with trends. Mm. So, where are people sharing about events and creating FOMO for one another? What's yeah. what's going on with social and live events?
0: Yeah. Well, isn't that the point? So, so let's <laughs> let's figure out the progression, right? The progression is dress the part, attend the event, posted on social this is the triptych of uh, of of experiences and so absolutely is the case that you know not only do you want to have the experience um but you want to make sure that other people see that you've had the experience and instagram is the reigning champion of that it's so visual you know it's where you post your concert pictures to i mean TikToks are great for you know viral and memes and things that are going around but nothing beats instagram hands down when it comes to sharing your experiences whether it's travel or concerts or, or anything else snaps or it didn't happen and better see it on Instagram.
1: Interesting. I wonder if that will also fold into threads if there is something there, which is the new Twitter version. I think where, it will. I, I It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Certainly if platforms have a purpose and this is where people are sharing
0: Yeah.
1: and then they're talking.
0: Yeah. There's a conversation, be, right? There's a so
1: conversation there. there. That could be yeah. really interesting. I know you also survey in Western Europe. And so, you know, we've covered a fair bit of ground here. Did you notice anything different popping in Western Europe in
0: the countries that you survey? Yeah, for sure. So so I would say travel is just much more prevalent in Western Europe. And, you know, travel is important amongst females in North America not so much amongst males. Males and females in Western Europe are enamored with travel. They want to go places and see things. And Western European males don't want to hunker in the bunker and play another video game or have another virtual experience. They want to be out in the world themselves. The only That's problem, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? The only problem is the crushing inflation and cost of living in Western Europe right now. We're we're a little bit, you know, isolated or insulated from it here in North America, but energy prices are a big part of of people's daily budgets, energy price big part of travel. And so right. Western Europeans are really struggling with the affordability of things and there's there's even a, a whole microcosm of you know, affordable trips and affordable—you uh, know—spending a day at the beach, you know, can be done affordably. And so they're really rallying around this idea of we're still going to travel, we're just going to try to figure out how to do it cheaply. Including this—this will make you giggle—you know, busloads of of Western European youth, you know, doing bus tours because you know, really like uh,
1: the old grannies used to. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just wait—they'll take over Viking cruises before you know it. And they'll oh, be,
1: golly. Well, I think those are going to be too expensive for them, I think. Could be. (laughs) Could be. <laughs> well, that's interesting because you say, I mean, it's also environmental if you're all in one bus. I mean, that it it plays to a number of things, not only the pocketbook, but also the environmental impact. That's interesting.
0: And and I will say this when it comes to the experiences, you know, environmental impact is a huge priority for Western Europeans. I mean, it's it's really everything that they're all about and the air that they breathe. And so we're seeing when it comes to the, you know, environmental impact of what they do, you know, the places they travel to, the concerts they go to, the things that they do in their day. Making sure that things are environmentally, you know, sort of conscious or minded is a big part of it. So green travel is the hype of this summer. And, you know, definitely would say that between eco-conscious and affordable, that, that defines what Western Europeans are looking for right now.
1: What about the social media? I know when I spoke to Anto, he talked about the importance of TikTok and how that was rising. Are we also seeing Instagram still reigning supreme for
0: experiences over there? We sure are. And if anybody's got his pulse on what's going on in Western Europe, it is indeed hento, our our editorial director for Western Europe. But again, I think that 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 young people use different social media platforms for different things. And you know, TikTok isn't really about sharing the thing that you did, but Instagram certainly is.
1: Okay. Well, before that's a very interesting point you made. So is what is TikTok for? If you were, I mean, this is a little segue, but mm-hmm. what is TikTok for? If it's not for sharing experiences, what is it
0: for? Yeah, it's it's for entertainment, right? And it's for these micro videos that either pass along a meme or or do something funny. But it's it's sort of, I would say it's a little bit more evergreen, right? In order for these okay. memes to build, and they build over time and and it's a little less isolated to the thing that you did last week or the week before. So I would say that Snapchat is even more so than Instagram, but but that sort of ephemeral nature of things. Whereas TikTok is kind of this, in my mind, this big cultural vacuum that sucks up everything, and then and then through the algorithm spits back the things that are most appealing to you as a form of entertainment. I'd say TikTok competes with. The t- television set, whereas Instagram right. okay. augments your in-life experiences.
1: Right. That's the really good way to think about it. I think that's important for marketers to to think about when they're thinking about where they're pushing, where they're spending, where they're focusing, if they're creating events versus if they're creating something that's sort of evergreen entertainment wise. Mm-hmm. I do know that Gen Z is dry, was driving TikTok. So just again, because I'm really drilling into this, Gen Z also leans into Instagram for these new experiences experiences, personal things that I'm doing, that's true for them as well. So even,
0: for- yeah. okay. M- much like the previous statement though, you know, Gen Z is going to use TikTok more than millennials will for everything. But okay. again, Gen Z is going to use Instagram more to share their, their outdoor experiences than they are going to for TikTok. So, so, you know, we're seeing TikTok just really being the space and place that Gen Z feels is their own. I find it fascinating since the beginning of time, young people have sought to find spaces and places where they could be amongst themselves without uh, the invasion of the olds. Right. Right. And 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 we've seen one social media platform after another sort of spark up out of nowhere because it's the newest thing that, that, that they themselves own it's their space. Right. And, and and to the point where, you know, I would admitted to being an Xer before, I've never downloaded Snapchat or TikTok. I know enough about young people that my arrival in either of those environments will spoil the party. And so I'm just going to let them have their fun in their space.
1: That's interesting. Well, so if I'm a brand, can I create an event that's entirely brand related or do I just focus on sponsorship?
0: No, absolutely. Young people are are hungry for, you know, experiences. And, and they don't mind when brands are, are provide fact, you know, 85% of young consumers believe brands should create more experiences and invite regular customers, not just the influencers they, they, you know, they see on Instagram, you know, a lot of influencers doing some really cool and fun things and they wish they could participate. And, and they're a little suspicious that maybe, you know, it was created just for the influencers to get the word out. They want to be a part of the fun too.
1: Well, that I was going to ask about that is that if does it hurt them? So if you're a brand and you create an event for influencers, like it's super fun, but only this handful of influencers get to do it. Is that a negative? Does that actually ding the brand or is it just doesn't move them a needle as much as if they created a bigger event for everybody?
0: Yeah. On the one hand, you know, I think it accentuates the fear of missing out. Right. So Mm. definitely would say that the you know, young people want to participate in things. I think if they knew that it was exclusive, and we know this about millennials and Gen Z, you know, exclusivity is is good in some places, not so good in others. You know, if you knew that you were never, ever, ever going to have a chance to participate in something like that, it may diminish your desire to want to participate virtually by watching somebody else. I, I feel like the best okay. combination is sure the influencers are involved and are pushing it out into the world, but but there's regular folks too. And so if only you'd known about it in time, you could have been there too. And and I feel like that's the real power of FOMO is, you know, if it it causes you to want to constantly scan the horizon for fun things to do, you know, be the first among your friends uh, to experience something, share it with them, you know. Street cred for millennials and Gen Z is is to be on the inside track on a on a super cool experience that then they can share with others, and then that elevates them. You know, if it's just just meant for influencers only, and they're not a major influencer, then that sort of diminishes that for them. That that feeling of empowerment and credibility, and I'm bringing something cool to people, and I'm 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 lifting myself up in terms of my ability to find out about these things first.
1: Interesting. That is interesting. So it, it, because I, I think there are certain, like a lot of fashion influencers will sometimes be invited to shows or things and they're really luxurious and it's great, but no regular person's ever going to get to do those things.
0: Yeah, it's true. But, but. What's going to happen is that regular person is going to watch that on Instagram and then immediately buy it on Shine, right? Who's sucking that stuff (laughs) off, you know? So then they could basically say, yeah, well, this is the outfit that this model wore, you know, Gigi wore down the ramp. And I've managed to get it for, you know, 27 bucks
1: shine. There was a recent bit of a kerfuffle around how they brought their influencers <laughs> yeah. over there. Have you guys asked about that? It was meant to be a PR, you know, look, our factory workers are happy as clams, shine influencers, and it didn't really land as well, did it? Yeah,
0: I think that influencers are good at, at some things, very good at some things, you know, helping people understand what's going on in the world from a experience, from an experiential point of view, maybe one of the best things that they can do, you know, hard cutting news and serious topics. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: maybe not. Maybe well, not. It, it seemed like maybe they didn't have good advisors. I think there. You
0: can see, you can totally see, like I could, I could imagine myself in that boardroom making that decision and thinking, yeah, yeah, let's get the word out. Let's get the word out. I, I think that, that. I mean, in all honesty, I would have been just as surprised as they were at the reaction. And then when you think about it for about a day, you're like, oh no, that's totally obvious. I don't know how we could have imagined that that would have worked.
1: Well, but you know? it's also, I wonder if it's changed how anybody feels they still buy the stuff right i I think i mean that that in the end you know did it did it move the needle in a positive way i maybe with some people it actually did and if it was negative you know the cause conundrum that you guys have talked Mm -hmm. about a lot they know it isn't you know fast fashion isn't great for the environment but they still want that outfit
0: yeah, absolutely. I think that's the dichotomy. And we're seeing that more and more right now. You know, the environment is very important, but when push comes to shove, you know, you're going to buy the store brand and you don't know a thing about how it was created or made or who made it, but it's cheaper. And right now that's your sole priority. So. Right. Because you're feel,
1: managing your pocketbook.
0: Yeah. I do feel like in boom times, you've got the luxury of really contemplating that kind of stuff. In <laughs> in recessions, you're, you're just going to shrink back to what do I need right now? And, and they do want to have the looks and they, but they do want to have them for $27. And they would prefer that they're not made by a people that are you know being taken advantage of. But at the same time, if it costs $270 to guarantee that, they couldn't afford it. So 27 seems like a fair uh, compromise.
1: Right. You know, we covered some demographic dif- differences. We talked about girls and, and travel and boys and gaming. One question, millennials and Gen Z that was similar, you would say?
0: When, when it comes to, you know, finances, males versus females as well, there's a, there's a real difference there. I would say that, you know, guys are struggling right now. You know, there's definitely this sense that, you know, recessions favor those that make good decisions and plan and budget well and, you know, isn't all that supportive of people that make maybe poor decisions rash decisions and aren't thinking their finances through so so i would say that every time we look at anything financial anything inflation related we're seeing you know the guys are kind of struggling with the what it, what it takes the planning and the parsimony that it takes to get through these tough times
1: That's really interesting that and and that's sort of some of that executive functioning is just a developmental thing It happens later for the biological developmental thing happens later for men.
0: There's a part of me that feels like that's why they're hunkered in the bunker, right? Like because of. You know, oh, that's interesting. Like I can manage games.
1: this. I understand this thing. Yes. Well, that's yeah. that's interesting. You know, one of the yep. other things that was flagged in the report was that LGBTQ plus individuals reported feeling less comfortable with crowded spaces. So and that they live in a, a new normal for them. That 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 was sort of how it was defined. And I was curious if having having sort of popped in terms of being a little less comfortable expressing this discomfort, but what they reported doing, was it any different? Do you know what I mean? Like they may be uncomfortable, but they're still going to the event. Like, or are they uncomfortable and they're not going to the event?
0: Yeah, uh, and, and you'd have to ask yourself, you know, what it is that that, that they're uncomfortable about. So oh. uh, that they're uncomfortable with, is it health issues or is it, you know, if you think about it, if you're from a minority and you're feeling a little bit like the world, you know, some parts of the world are very supportive of you right now, but other parts of the world aren't that supportive of you. And mm-hmm. you get thrown into the mass of it all, right? A uh, concert environment, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, it's pretty clear that we're not in Kansas anymore, right? I would love to double click on that question and ask them whether their discomfort in, you know, sort of um, crowded events is based on health related issues or just... You know... Or just
1: general safety comfort issues.
0: Yeah. And and moreover, like yeah. I'm interacting now with... it's. Really really, it's really uh, easy in a virtual world to, to be with your tribe all the time, right? Oh, Where if, right? If you're in a minority being with your tribe at a concert event, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to find each other, right? And, and, you know, the, the smaller the percentage, the, the, the rarer you are within that crowd or that environment. So, so I would love a chance to ask that question over again, you, you know, as a researcher, you're always, you're always faced with that, huh? Well, that's really interesting. So is it was it this or was it that? And and right. I I don't have any evidence in either way. But I I don't think that LGBTQ plus people are more worried about their their health and wellness from a you know COVID kind of perspective. I think it's just more you know dealing once again with everyone you know right right hundred percent of us.
1: That's really interesting. What an insightful way to think about it.
0: I would like to return to LGBTQ for a second, okay. and and just you know they're over indexing on music. And okay. the arts, you know, they're they're definitely, okay. you know, when, when it comes to this sort of the social lives, it's very much concerts and festivals and and musicals and plays and museums and exhibits. I mean, okay, it's you know, so a very if-
1: culture. Culture. Yeah.
0: And, and just a shout out to all of the museum curators and, and, and all of the folks that are trying to bring young people into these you know environments. You know, you, you've got a real ally there and, and you know, supporting that ally and making sure that they feel like, you know, they've got a special place in your world is, is definitely, I'd say, a, a great way for you to sort of establish a strong beachhead against younger concert goers, opera goers. You know, right. future playwrights and and actors and actresses take note. These folks are are your cornerstone.
1: Fantastic. So having given the advice to museums, let's give a little bit of advice more broadly. If I'm a brand, what should be the single most important thing that I should be taking away from this research?
0: Yeah. So the, the first thing is, is that that experiences are back with a vengeance and, you know, you need to be out and about with them. Those the pop up experiences in Western Europe, they called it Aldi mania. But the Aldi the grocery store is just going out of their way with with pop ups and street experiences. We used to have a strong and vibrant experiential marketing you know landscape. And and it took a real hit after the pandemic. And so on college campuses, Across the nation, there used to be so many fun and interesting things that were going on from a branded perspective. Those things need to return. You need to get back into the world of young people who are making decisions that will last them an entire lifetime, and and create a connection with them, an emotional connection. You know, an experience that that makes them laugh or makes them smile or or gives them a reason to talk about you or take a picture of you and share it with others. You know, this is this is where it's at this is the long game of marketing and so i mean let's let's think of one of the best known brands for that red bull you know, created a whole new category and dominated that category with that simple you know, experiential approach to young people you know it's hard to get mass and scale prior to the college experience but if you can figure out a clever way to to get in front of high school students or 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 young people you know, before their college experience begins it's a, it's a great idea and mm. again The ROI is that on that is exponential. It's relationships that last a lifetime. You've got to invest in it. You've got to play the long game. You've got to get in front of young people while they're out in the world and give them a reason to love your brand.
1: Fantastic. Great advice as always. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Gabriella. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.